Well, friends, my name is Adam, and it's my joy to be the senior pastor here at First United Methodist Church. We're beginning a new series called The Pursuit of Happiness. And one of the main ways that I kind of absorb things that our society looks for in, in happiness is through songs. We tend to sing about what makes us happy. Janis Joplin sang, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Uh, the Zach Brown band sang about having his toes in the water and his rear end in the, in the sand. Bruno Mars had a whole song about what he likes. Cadillacs, lobster tails, shopping trips in Paris, everything, 24 carats. So what is it that brings you happiness? Is it a higher, would it be a higher salary? Is it that next vacation? Maybe it's stuff you're missing, like, well, if I only had fill in the blank. What is that thing? A lot of us find happiness in what we do, raising a family or, or, or in our occupation or our achievements in sports and, and music and academics. These next four weeks, we're going to be talking about the pursuit of happiness. And the series is based on a book by a pastor named Matt Miofsky. And the book's called Happy. What is it? and how to find it. You can check this out on Amazon. We've got small groups that are going to be meeting about this book. I'm going to be leading a Facebook Live about uh, our sermon and, and, and a kind of an online small group time every week. This, one, this week it's going to be on Wednesday at 7.30. So I encourage you to join us for more discussion throughout the week about this very important subject. What is happiness and how do we find it? Now we're talking about happiness at a substantial and lasting level. And more than just an emotional feeling kind of in an instant. And as we'll see, this is a subject which has fascinated people for a long, long time. There was a famous study conducted by Harvard, and it began in 1938. The Harvard Study of Adult Development, it reached some interesting conclusions. But before we look at the results of that study, we're going to look at an even, a much, much older study, because that's a great way to think of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a famously challenging book of the Bible. Some of the stuff we're going to read, if you haven't heard it before, you're going to be like, man, Womp womp. <laughs> Just a little sneak preview, by the way. Um, but this, this book, that we, we don't have a modern way to verify the authorship, but tradition tells us that the book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, the son of King David, who uh, was, Solomon was known for his uh, great wisdom and his great wealth. Pretty good combo. Uh, there are three books in the Old Testament that are attributed to Solomon. Song of Solomon, probably could have guessed that one. Uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and, and collectively they're known as uh, part of the wisdom writings. It's said that Solomon wrote Song of Songs about love when he was young, Proverbs about advice when he was middle-aged, and his wise reflections contain Ecclesiastes when he was in old age. The rough meaning of Ecclesiastes in Hebrew is teacher. So the concept of the book is the teacher is recording their collected wisdom throughout life. And it's this experiment, a lifelong experiment on happiness and meaning. So again, before we look at the results of the Harvard study, we're going to hear the findings on the study of human happiness from the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we're going to be looking into three different theories or three different ways the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, kind of describes what is and isn't worthwhile in life. And the first theory is this, that if I find meaningful work, that will give me lasting happiness. We're going to be reading from Ecclesiastes. We're going to start off in chapter 2 in verse 18. 
I hated all my toil in which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to those who come after me. And who knows whether they will be wise or foolish. Yet they will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. What immortals get from all their toil and strain with which they toil under the sun? For all their days are full of pain and their work is a vexation. Even at night their minds do not rest. This also is vanity. So Solomon's talking about where, where do we get our identity and, and what's worthwhile and committing our lives to? Well, someone's going to carry on your work after you're done, so you don't even know if they're going to do a good job. This is tough to hear because so much of our identity is wrapped up in what we do, even if our work is in the home. So the reality is that work cannot solely make you happy because eventually our work ends. We retire, whether it's our choice or not. Maybe you're let go of, from your work. Or if you're a student, you'll graduate. If you're raising your, your kids, they'll grow up. There's a great line from Star Wars, The Last Jedi. You know, I try and save my Star Wars references to make them really count. And uh, this is what Yoda says. He says, we are what they grow beyond. That is the burden of all true masters. In other words, the whole point of being a parent is not to be necessary. And even that can still feel bad. So whether it's your work, as a parent, or in the marketplace, you will eventually no longer be necessary, and your work will be carried on by strangers. Some of us already know that well, that even meaningful work comes to an end, and so we can't count on that to make us happy. Let's go to theory two. If I accumulate money, stuff, achievements, that will give me lasting happiness. Again, we see Solomon address this idea. The lover of money, from chapter 5, the lover of money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth with gain. This also is vanity. When goods increase, so does a person's appetite. And what gain has their owner but to see them with his eyes? As they came from their mother's womb, so shall they go again, naked as they came. They shall take nothing for their toil with which they may carry away with their hands. Now, this dude was hardcore, wasn't he? But we know this to be true. The reality is we can never accumulate enough and we can't take it with us after we go. When goods increase, so does a person's appetite. Tom Brady was asked once what his favorite Super Bowl victory was. You know what his response was? The next one. That's right. Now I hate quoting this dude. He's good looking, greatest quarterback ever, smart. Great sermon material. I, I just save some talent for the rest of us, man. You know? The next one, Tom said, it's never enough. That's the message. I've experienced this funny thing in my life. When I was fresh out of school, I was 22 and was a youth director, right? And I made a certain amount of money. And then 14 years later, I've got more experience, different credentials. So I'll, I'll, you know, inflation, cost of living, blah, blah, blah. So I, I, I make more money than when I was 22. But you know, isn't it interesting that we find a way to increase our lifestyle needs as our salary grows? So I don't know what it is for you, a bigger house, a newer car, uh, some type of award or achievement, a certain GPA, if you're a student. What are you reaching for that makes you think, ah, if I can only get this, if I can only get this, then at last I'll be happy. And even that ends up coming up empty 
because there'll always be someone with a newer car or a bigger house or better grades than us. And even after we get all those things, all we want is more. So if we can't find happiness in our work or in things, let's look at theory three. I'll seek pleasure. That will give me lasting happiness. Solomon said this in chapter two. I said to myself, come now. I will make a test of pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But again, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my mind how to cheer my body with wine, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly until I might see what was good for mortals to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. What's your favorite escape? How do you check out? What, what, what gives you pleasure and puts your mind at ease? What's your go-to indulgence? We search for this in all kinds of ways. Partying, food, video games, sports, drugs, sex, putting our best image forward on social media, kind of presenting you know, an edited version of ourselves. Or maybe it's, maybe it's doing nothing. Maybe like relaxing and not doing anything is your indulgence. And when we've tried these things, we usually find them lacking and, and discover reality. There isn't enough pleasure in the world to cover up the longing that we feel. We're trying to satisfy something that can't be filled with shallow self-indulgence. The tricky part is it feels good in the short term, but in the long term, not even pleasure will give us what we're looking for. So we try looking for happiness in all these different ways, work, accumulation, and pleasure. And we're exposed to all these advertisements every day that feed into this, right? These, these advertisements and, and all these brands trying to create, stir up this desire in you that, oh, if I can just get this, then that'll be what I need. I mean, doesn't Clinique have a perfume called Happy? None of this is new, friends. Solomon discovered a long time ago that neither work, accumulation, or pleasure will make you happy. He's a real ray of sunshine, isn't he? A lot of vanity and toil that we've read about today. It sounds like he's saying, want to be happy? Good luck. Nothing can make you happy. That's the title of today's message. Nothing can make you happy. Well, thanks, preacher, for that. Appreciate it. But you and I already know this to be true. Nothing can make you happy. Let's slow it down a little bit. No thing can make you happy. That little space makes a big difference, doesn't it? No thing can make you happy. Solomon doesn't just point out that the problems with our pursuit of happiness, he also gives us some clues to the solution. This is from Ecclesiastes chapter four. Sarah and I actually had this read at our wedding. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Also, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Although one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. Another translation says, two can defend themselves. A threefold cord 
is not quickly broken. So all the things we've read before of Solomon's reflections in Ecclesiastes, he was dismissing everything as as useless or, or folly, futile. But here, he has some positive things to say. And what is it that's so valuable? Partnerships, people, relationships. Pursuing things won't make us happy, but relationships do have the power to be worth the investment. Solomon wasn't the only one to reach this conclusion. Dr. Robert Waldinger was one of the heads of the Harvard study on adult development, and this is what he said. What are the lessons that come from the tens of thousands of pages of information that we've generated on these lives? Well, the lessons aren't about wealth or fame or working harder and harder. The clearest message that we get from this 75-year study is this. Good relationships keep us healthier and happier, period. There was one time when someone asked asked Jesus, hey, what what do I need to do to get the most out of life? Or how, how do I gain entrance into heaven? What do I need to be doing? And this question that was posed of Jesus was asked in the context of over 600 Jewish laws. And so it's as if this person is saying, what's the most important thing I need to do? What rule do I need to follow? Jesus said, here's what you need to do. Here's the two most important commandments. This is from Matthew 22. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is pretty simple to understand what Jesus tells us, but it's much trickier to do, isn't it? According to Jesus, there are three constituents that comprise our most important relationships. God, ourselves, and others. Investing in relationships, not things, leads to lasting happiness. My friend Megan had a post recently on Facebook where she challenged folks to say something positive about 2020. Challenge accepted. And as I scrolled through the responses, you know, not one person was like, I got a different phone. Oh, it's, it's great. Right? Not, well, not one person said, I got a new wardrobe. Now I just feel fantastic. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't the content that people put out there. I loved what Megan said. She said, I have grown, learned much, and created lots of self-disciplines. I have also grown closer to God, deeper in my faith, and trust for the Lord, and focused on bettering my relationships. It feels like I paid her to, <laughs> to write that for use in the sermon today. I focused on my faith and trust in the Lord and bettering my relationships. For Jesus, our priorities should not be our work and our accumulation of things and our pleasure. According to him, the priorities are our relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Friends, may you leave this place pursuing happiness by investing in people, not things. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together, to hear from your word and be challenged on what it is we're trying to build our lives around. We admit to you that we're often fooled 
by the messages that we receive from, from without and from our sinful desire for more from within. So we ask, we ask that you help us release our grip on the concepts that, that our worth is proved by our work and, and, and that we can find pleasure in, in accumulating things or by escaping into temporary solutions. God, call to mind those people in our lives that you have placed there that, that we can invest more into. God, help us to, to reprioritize, to rearrange, to reassess what it is we're investing in, our energy, our time, our care. Help us to orient our lives around you, our relationship with you, and how that can change how we view ourselves and how that can alter the way we treat others. God, help us to invest in people, not things. Amen.